when looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. What up? Excuse me while I whip this out. Oh, gnarly! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. I knew it, I'm surrounded by assholes. And good evening, friends! With over 30 years of experience and a superb reputation for being a detail-oriented company, Lacey Cleaning has some of the highest work standards in the cleaning business. That's the fact! Whether it's carpet cleaning, tile, grout cleaning, new construction cleanup, rental turnovers, vent and duct cleaning, odor elimination, office and or business cleaning, power washing, residential cleaning, you name it, they do it. Check them out. To contact them today, LaceyCleaning at gmail.com or call them at 609-709-8536. That's what I'm talking about. Are you annoyingly even keel? E-methamine could be right for you. I have a disease, all right? I need help. E-methamine lets you get gagged up on whoop chicken parts without yellowing one's teeth. Oh, yeah. Contact your doctor today if you experience the following. Oh, my God. Increases in blood flow, boost in testosterone, ending of erectile dysfunction. This medicine is made for extreme cases of being even keel or having extreme depression. Oh, come on! Side effects include fits of rage, acne, bleeding in folks around you, whooping cough, hallucinations, comas, trouble swallowing, decrease in semen, increasing amounts of selling yourself, amnesia, night terrors, higher mortgage rates, and increased sensations in not having suicidal urges. Oh my. I'm Billy Sample, former major leaguer and now filmmaker, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. Well, right now, we actually have, let's see, he's played professional baseball, he's written a new movie, he's produced this movie, he's done a bunch of jobs that I think he's running out of things to do, honestly. We won't say he was doing the laundry or anything like that, but uh, Billy Sample's on the line. Billy, what's going on? Let me tell you, I was most versatile in my senior year, way back at Andrew Lloyd High School in 1973, so at my late age, I'm trying to live up to the promise that my classmates thought I had. So I'm 
trying to do a little bit of everything. And I've oh, yeah. <laughs> not mastered any of them, but yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to do them all. Uh, let's see, 2011, I uh, wrote a screenplay and submitted it to the Hoboken Film Festival, and uh, for whatever reason, it took top honors. And then I decided, well, it's going to be hard for me to uh, to sell this to a studio, so let me try to produce it myself on a SAG Ultra. Uh, can, we, can I stop you right there real quick, Billy? We should sure. mention that before you can continue with your story, uh, we should mention the movie we are talking about has a baseball premise, but not exactly a baseball movie. It's actually called Reunion 108. But go ahead and continue with your story. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a baseball background. It's more of a clubhouse movie. In fact, half of the movie was shot in a clubhouse up in Fishkill, New York, where the, I think it's the Rays have their short season A team. And I needed a clubhouse that was large enough to, to house 20 actors and crew, and I did some scouting, my own scouting, which is what you do on an indie film. And uh, the only two that I saw in the uh, two-hour, uh, two- to three-hour area that would have sufficed was the one in Reading, uh, Pennsylvania, in the Atlantic League, and uh, that one. And it was large enough to do what I wanted to do, and I I scouted stadiums all the way down to Virginia and back. So I found one that I liked, and... So we shot it there. We shot 11 days there. And then the other 11 days we shot at various points around New York City and, and northeast New Jersey. Uh, the actors okay. were great. Uh, it, it was, uh, in fact, I, I, I just love the way, AJ, that everybody sort of took it, uh, took their part and made it their own. And, and I, I couldn't have been more pleased with the acting in the movie. Well, with, uh, let me. Uh, state with uh, Reunion 11 and doing a little bit of research on my own. Uh, One of the interesting things I would say that you based a lot of the writing of this script with notes around your house, correct? Uh, Well, I based uh, Reunion 108 on what I knew. And and people told me, and, and I've heard it before, that you write about what you know. So I wrote an edgy, satirical, R-rated comedy. Uh, it's not for everybody. It's got a little darkness to it. Um, however, the rater from the Classification and Ratings Association who called me thought this is going to be a seminal baseball, in quotes, movie, which was very flattering because I imagine that that particular person gets all the sports movies and baseball movies, so I was quite flattered. Um, in fact, I have a ball for reference um, uh, in the movie. I told Jim Bounton that I have a ball for reference in the movie uh, to add to that credibility. And uh, The premise is two different generations of minor league baseball players are returning for a reunion. And they get sort of coerced into telling stories about their, their past, whether it be on the baseball field or off the field. And uh, so we do a, a little bit of flashbacking to their stories. Not sort of a period piece flashbacking, but uh, flashbacking to uh, interesting or ex- or exciting or uh, curious things that went on in their past. And the, that's the genesis of of the movie, and there's a thread of of a couple of players who still have some discord from 30 years ago. In fact, I ran into the actor today who played that part, sort of the uh, antagonist to my particular character, uh, and we talked about it a little bit in the grocery store. Uh, funny, we didn't know each other. We live in the same town and didn't know each other until we shot the movie. 
Well, speaking of uh, the different flashbacks and different things that you have going on with the film, uh, I should say Mr. Sample was nice enough to forward some clips uh, of the film and going to play some of the audio for you. The first one I want to play, and it would be better for you to introduce it, I think, is about Hail to the Native American. What can you tell us about this scene here? (laughs) Well, AJ, I... Uh, for many years, I have questioned the the use of the of the football team in the nation's capital, the professional football team, and, and this has been in the news quite a bit recently. But I have first addressed the use of Native American nicknames for sports teams, and especially the one in D.C. because that's the most that's the most racist of them all. Uh, since the early '90s, I was a columnist at Baseball Weekly. I think it since was changed to Sports Weekly. I'm not even sure what it's called nowadays, but back in the early 90s, I was an inaugural columnist of that newspaper, and I addressed it then, and I addressed it in the movie. I wrote the movie, uh, as we, we mentioned, in 2011, so I'm a little bit ahead of the curve with this publicly, but it seems as though the timing has been great for me, uh, unfortunately, because uh, I address this issue again. And maybe we'll see a little movement, but certainly it has gathered a, a feeling from people uh, about the use, and, and I use other ethnic groups as well, and sort of insert that into the name of the of the team, and use their their little jingle for uh, their theme song with it. And I think in the end, it comes out as a bit funny, uh, which is okay. Uh, but even with the uh, telling the story and, and with the humor, I, I think I, I make a point or two in the movie, and this is one of the areas in which I do indeed make a point or two. Okay, let's play this clip real quick. All right, All right. yeah, coming out of that clip, and it was inter- interesting, uh, Bill, that when you mentioned there about, uh, how do I say, you used humor, but you were trying to make a point within that scene there. Uh, right. You and me were talking about it Friday night, actually. Uh, we both had agreed upon it, I think. Uh, George Carlin would do this similar type thing where... <laughs> Love him or hate him, he used humor to bring up a point, but it all left the door open for discussion, uh, either side of the spectrum there. Would you agree with that? Well, George was so good at mastering the English language, it was just amazing. And uh, his use of satire, in addition to his mastery of the language, was uh, outstanding. My goodness, uh, I think we both concluded that we missed what he brought to the table, and I don't think anyone did it as well as he did it. And uh, maybe some of that subconsciously I, I drew on when I did this. And it wouldn't surprise me had he uh, been alive that he would have addressed the situation as well because he certainly addressed a lot of things that just leave you going, hmm, well, that's really interesting. and Or this is really inconsistent because it's here one way and here another way, and they're not the same. They're not congruent. So uh, in a way I can see where Carlin would have addressed an issue like this and, and – uh, I would have been uh, happy to have seen it, but yeah, you're right. You sort of leave this scene thinking, oh, okay, well, it's cute the way he addressed it. And that's the way I wanted it. I wanted it to be a little cute, but still, you got the point. And, and you don't yeah, miss exactly. it. Exactly. Because I throw the point in your face. <laughs> yeah, I throw the point in your face. So you can't miss it, but I think you can leave it with a wry smile after you watch it. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, this other clip you had sent us as well is, I think it was a, 
named <laughs> S-Man Thomas. Uh, what can you tell us about that? <laughs> well, I borrowed this. Most of, of what I wrote, AJ, is, is true. I, I would say that uh, oh, probably 97% of what I wrote actually happened. And this particular scene was uh, uh, was based upon a, an interaction or a conversation I had with one of my friends from a while ago, uh, Monty Big Game Hunter, who, uh, speaking of football in the nation's capital, he actually played football. He played most of his career with the Cowboys, but he had uh, given me an anecdote to use, uh, and this is it. And uh, and it's different, and I think it's funny. And... and uh, some of it's just pure fun. I just had fun writing it and and, uh, and and trying to get as many big laughs as I could. And I think this is a situation where it, it uh, it's interesting. It, just the whole nature of the the scene set up, how one guy defends the uh, the use of of how words are applied, and then at the end, well, you can sort of figure out if the name of the scene is the ass man cometh. You can probably figure that it's got something to do with, uh, in this particular case, about a woman walking. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's Let's interesting. Let's play this uh, audio real quick. Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, you had mentioned uh, with this movie, Reunion 108. Uh, first of all, before I ask my next question, where or where exactly can people obtain a copy of this movie or go and see it? Well, I will know a little later this week but what I'm trying to do right now is, uh, distribution has been been painstakingly tough. But I've uh, have a tentative agreement with a bow excuse me bow tie distributor in uh, in the New York City area where we're looking for, and I'll have have it uh, etched in stone this week, hopefully, uh, or I trust that I will. Uh, to have a week in my area, Washington Township, in Bergen County, not by, uh, not by Philly, but in Bergen County, and uh, where most of us are, are centered. The executive producer owns a Dairy Queen in town uh, in the same strip-like uh, mall, and, and a couple of my actors are, are close by, or a few of my actors actually are close by, and most of the actors are from New York City, New York City area. And uh, so it, if we sell it well there, and I think we will, uh, then my hope is to, or my desire is to have it branch out and maybe Bowtie pick it up in some of the other theaters um, across the country. So uh, I've got a big week coming up, and and I trust that I have a big end of the month coming up as well because we're looking at a late June date, uh, a week actually, and a week I think is all we need to do to show that there's going to be some momentum for this film. It's, um, well, as soon as uh, that's available, we will get it out to our listeners. Yes, well. and, and it has a, the 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 movie has a website. I have a website. I have a Facebook. The movie has a Facebook. So uh, we'll be popping it out there as soon as we get a go. Everybody will know, and, and I'll certainly let you know, AJ. Sure, sure. but obviously, let's uh, talk a little baseball, uh, real life baseball, not as far as the movie, real quick as well. Yeah. Uh, you played with the Rangers, the Yankees, and the Braves. Uh, for, when I guess I could tie this in with the movie as well. Uh, how much of the stories that you tell in the movie reflect from your playing days? Oh, almost all of it. Uh, earlier I said about 97% of what I had written is true or is based on some kind of truth, and, and that's the way it is. It's probably a little bit more of my minor league days 
and more Texas because I was there the most. I was there a little over six years. I was a year with the Yankees and the Braves. It's probably closer to Texas and the Yankees as opposed to the Braves. Uh, the Braves were – it was sort of a different locker room. Texas was one way. Uh, the Yankees were a little bit closer to Texas, but not quite as – as sane maybe as the Braves were, and uh, so most of my stories would would come from the minor leagues. And when I came up in Texas, uh, we well, were we were kind of uh, the the kind of guys you had to lock up the the women and children when we came into town. No, I'm kidding. We've got teammates. <laughs> just joking. Just joking. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking. But of we that, had personality. Was... I guess that's what I'm saying. We oh. had there, we had personality. It, it was, um, and if you were shy. Um, it wasn't a place to be. If um, well, you didn't like to get rid of that wasn't a place to be. Yeah. I I guess that would be like almost like a real life version of Animal House then for several years. Uh, yeah, well we weren't that crazy because Not we did actually have to work. Yeah, we <laughs> we <laughs> we did uh well we were we were different. We had personality though. I, I think there was one author that said that the 1980s Rangers team was the second best character team in, in all of baseball. Uh, I guess for a long period of time, and I don't know about that, but I understood from where he came from because there was a lot of personality there. There were uh, there was just something always going, uh, and it, in a lot of ways it was fun. It kind of uh, beat through the boredom sometimes. And nobody seemed to get hurt, but we we definitely had personalities there. We had. Um, well, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. And and the thing is too that most people don't realize. Yes, especially nowadays, athletes tend to make a lot of money, and there's a lot of the glory side of things. But people don't realize as well that, like with baseball, you're traveling and on the go for five to six months a year. So you need to entertain your guy, yourself somehow during the downtime. Yeah. yeah, it was different. and everything else. Yeah, it was a little different then. The money wasn't what it is today. And I told somebody today that uh, because if you're 35 years or younger, the only thing you've known from athletes and baseball players included is that they've made multi-million dollars. Well, that wasn't the case back in the day. I came up in the late 70s. My first salary was 21000 so you're taking home eighteen five, and that was in the big leagues, folks. <laughs> so um, yeah. I think when you make a little bit more money, or a lot more money, as the case is nowadays, that you're not quite as crazy with your personality. You're a little more guarded, I think, with your personality uh, because you Would don't you want to. Would you say it's more corporate now? Uh, well, because of the big money and everything else that goes with that. Uh, corporate in the sense that the players might have more things to do with their money and structure it a little better, yes. But uh, I, I think just the the fact that you've got a lot more to lose uh, probably makes you a little bit more guarded. Back in my day, heck, the, the sports writers made more money than I did a lot of the time, so it wasn't um, – it, the, the value of the profession was good, uh, but the money didn't catch up with it. And, and now the money has caught up and probably surpassed the value of, of the profession, And uh, which is, in, in my case, I think it's good. I was a two-stop from own good union man, so I took a lot of the stands that allowed players to have the player rights that they have and, and subsequently the money that comes after that. Um, uh, but it, it's a lot like uh, like your kids. Uh, you want something better for them than, than you had. 
and uh, and I think it makes the game a little better because it took me until my third year before there was enough income in the off season or for the baseball season to extend through the off season. And nowadays, players don't have to worry about that. Your minimum salary is closing in if it's not already a half million dollars a year. So even if you're 22 or 23 years old, uh, unmarried, uh, you're going to take home eh, 300 plus thousand dollars a year. You can stretch that during the course of the whole season, which allows you to work on your craft all year round, uh, which I think makes a better product, much better product. Well, uh, back to the, I guess the hijinks and everything else. I guess we can put that. Uh, is yeah, there any chance of characters? Yeah. We'll we'll be uh, PC a little bit here just in this segment. Uh, is there any particular uh, cast of characters that you played with and had fun with that really stand out for you? Well, I guess the safe answer would be Mickey Rivers uh, because they threw the mold away with Mickey. Um, he's just, he's just, yeah, it's hard to think about Mickey and not smile because he's just, uh, he, he did some things on the field that were just incredible to me. And, uh, just his personality was, uh, there was just always something going on. It's almost kinetic when you walked into the locker room. And I had the good fortune of being a teammate with Oscar Gamble, not even a whole year in 1979. And I couldn't wait for him to get into the clubhouse. He was just that kind of, I don't know if it's funny or uh, positive or enlightening or whatever it was. It was just a, a joy to be around. And I remember a couple of times consciously staying at my locker because I would have already been there and probably lifted some light weights two or three o'clock and then uh, everybody else started to filter in a little bit and, and consciously waiting for him to get in because he'd have something that would put a smile on your face. And we had he was just definitely a personality you'd want to be around. Oh, yeah. Well, a lot of people are. are uh, but those are two that stand out in my mind. I, I think that I was fortunate to be a teammate with Sparky Lyle when he was traded from the Yankees to the Rangers a year. And, uh, no, he didn't, I don't think he sat on any cakes there. <laughs> uh, although, I had, although I had Doug Rader as a manager later on, and Doug had sat on some cakes when he was, when he was a player uh, a few years uh, before that. But uh, Sparky was, uh, he was a joy to be around. What a great he, teammate. Sparky... Sparky is uh, uh, he is a character for sure. I we know Sparky a little bit, and you, there's no need to say no more about that man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was just it was just a joy to joy to be around him, and um, so we had some like that. Jim Kern, uh, for a guy whose IQ had to be like 150, he he could do some things that were just really different. Uh, we called him the Amazing Emu, or maybe he called himself the Amazing Emu. I'm not exactly sure, but uh, we we had some characters, we had some personality. I just it seemed like everybody had had a little. I, I might have been the most sane one of the group, and 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 I'm a little bit off center too. So, um, but it, it, it was well, fun. And, and you're right, you're traveling the years long. Sometimes it helps to have those kinds of personalities, but you don't you don't have to have it. Uh, the Braves, on the other hand, was about a 180 when I was there in the mid-80s, and, and subsequently two years as a broadcaster in the late 80s, and they were a, a nicer, not as crazy group, and and that worked for them. Uh, I, I, I tended to be uh, more of a, a crazy kind of guy that would like something every once in a while to pull off of or uh, to pull onto, and, and so maybe that I, was, I would gravitate more to them. 
to the Rangers' way of life. But then again, I, I played three years in the minors and came up there and played most of my career there, so I was very comfortable and familiar. Well, you mentioned uh, your experience broadcasting with the Braves there for a bit. Did, uh, but it was before they really took off in the 90s there. Could you see some of those guys and see things starting to change while you were there with the Braves? Yeah, I think the culture was changing. Uh, Tom Glavin had, had come up at the time when I was broadcasting there, and the, I think either in 87 or 88, John Spoltz had been traded over for Doyle Alexander right around the same period. So you could see some of it uh, being put together, but I think the final touch was that Bobby Cox went from the front office, from being a general manager to the manager, and uh, and Bobby had already done that uh, with the Braves and, and many people know with the Blue Jays in Toronto. So um, he, I think, took all the talent that they had scouted and signed and really melded it together very well, and, and they had that incredible run during his tenure. And, of course, he's going to be uh, enshrined into the Hall of Fame later this summer. Which is it? Unbelievable Hall of Fame class in itself. But my final question for you, and you brought this name up to me previously off air and stuff before. Uh, I not, can't think of the year he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, speaking of that, who's in the media, Paul Hagen, who's now in the Philadelphia market and has been for years. You've had a close relationship with Paul since your Texas days, correct? Correct, yeah. Uh, Paul was... Uh... Uh, he had his day at the Hall of Fame last year in 2013, and and Paul is my closest media buddy. We go all the way back to the the late 1978 uh, to the late 1970s. In fact, in 1978, he might have been the first reporter that I met when I came into the clubhouse. Uh, our AAA season had ended. Uh, we had one of those milk run flights. I was playing out of Tucson, Tucson to Phoenix, Phoenix to Chicago, Chicago to Milwaukee, where I met the club. And I walked into the clubhouse, and, and there I was. And, and the Rangers were five games out at the time, really contending. And there I was leading off, which was okay. I, I didn't think I was going to play that soon, but fine, let's get it on. But what scared me was that uh, they had me playing second base. And I think to the day I still have the Texas League record for most errors by second baseman until they moved me back to the outfield. And um, I don't think I had an infielder's glove with me. And I, I think I went up to, to him and said, uh, does Billy Hunter know I haven't played second base in a year and a half? And so we go th through our warm-ups before the game, and nobody tells me anything. And then finally Billy tells me with about, I don't know, 10 minutes before the start of the game that they felt that Bump Wills, uh, the incumbent second baseman, had been struggling a little bit from his right side, Bump being a switch hitter. So they wanted to give him one less at bat from the right side. And so I was going to lead off the game, and no matter what I did, Bump was going to go into the game. So sure enough, uh, first pitch from Jerry Augustine, a line in the right center field. I'm on first base with this big, wide grin, and here comes Bump to pinch run for me. My day was over. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, and I think I heard you mention somewhere else before, because uh, I was actually going to ask you about that story, but when you were talking about your first hit there in the major leagues. Oh, yeah, that was it. You mentioned yeah. about Bob Uecker, what yeah, you wondered Uecker, what Bob was thinking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did I pull a muscle going from home to first? <laughs> Why is this guy <laughs> getting pinch run for? <laughs> he looked young and spry. What's going on? I don't think ever – you can watch the game of baseball, as you well know, day in and day out for decades and see something different every day. And, and that certainly was different, and I don't think I've seen it since then, but I was certainly appreciative of, of Billy Hunter 
giving me that opportunity. And uh, during our last road trip, I was getting on the bus, and, and Billy patted the seat beside him, the manager's seat, and he, he wanted me to sit down. So he told me how he envisioned the club the following year. Uh, Will's going to be at second, uh, Sunberg behind the plate, blah, blah, blah. And then John Grubb and I were going to split time in left field. And I thought, well, this is great. I've really impressed the manager in the month, and uh, here's a good start to my major league career. The next day they fired Billy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, baseball. Yeah, timing. <laughs> timing. <laughs> but here you are, like you said, yeah, hey, I got over with the boss and whatnot. And, you know, a couple of days later, boss is no longer there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was one of those. Like, oh, yeah, so this is how it's going to be. All right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's it's been a lot. When I, when I look back, I think when you're in the middle of it and you're working real hard, you don't sit back and, and reflect and, and think, um, how fortunate it is to to be in such a uh, highly select profession, but the older I get, the more I, the more I appreciate it. Well, uh, my final question for you, because I always heard, and I guess it has nothing to do with baseball, though. But we had heard there the next generation of sample kids, uh, being yours, had uh, were hell of athletes as well. Is that true? Uh, daughter Nikki uh, threw the javelin at the University of Rhode Island. Oldest son Ian uh, was a wide receiver at the University of Hawaii. He caught 10 of Colt Brennan's NCAA record 58 touchdown passes in 2006. And the youngest uh, son is the biggest one, and he went to Lackawanna Junior College in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and then uh, tore up a knee, and he's a big physical fitness person in the area. So they, they've they all, uh, fortunately, inherited their mother's athleticism, so they've got a chance. It's always good to put mom over, but the movie's <laughs> Reunion 108. <laughs> yeah, the movie's Reunion 108. Uh, details will be coming out hopefully this week on where you can say it and distribution and all that stuff. Billy, yes, thank you so yes. much for a few minutes. Oh, thank you, and I'll keep you updated. I certainly appreciate it. Why not try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts, there's bound to be injuries. Now that's what I call depressing. It's going to make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope want to jump off the highest of planks. For those that are getting Now That's What I Call Depressing, you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars, Wrinkled Ladies.
For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend while in Cell Block 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open. Who the fuck writes this shit? Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. This loaded hit will be dropping soon. Farthing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap, an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS. Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shock suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from peewee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com. Hey, this is Brett Boone, former Major League All-Star, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. 